how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. What is up, everybody? This is Ryan with the Scale Up Show. Happy to be with you today. I'm going to give you a heads up on this. This is, a, this is actually something a little bit different. I haven't done it before, but I was a, a guest on another podcast called 30 Minutes to President's Club, and these guys hit me hard with super, super tactical questions, and it, it's hosted by Nick Sigelski and Armand Farak. And, and basically what I'm doing is I, I get hyper-tactical on the framework that I use to help my team close over $100 million in business. And so I, I wanted to share it with you because I got so many DMs, so many comments, and just tons and tons of positive feedback. So I thought it'd be massive value for you. And so here it is. Check out the show. Grab a pen and paper. You're going to want to write a lot of this down. All right, Ryan. Welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Yeah. Number one is the perfect customer profile. So what this is, is it's the five by five by five method that helped me go from as a rep and then later as a leader with my team, I leveraged this, but as a rep helped me grow from basically barely hitting hundred percent of quota while working 60, 70 hours a week. And then I implemented this and it basically knocked off 20 hours a week of work while increasing my, my product, or I should say my quota output to 140%. And so basically what it is, is all you need to do is look at the top five biggest deals that your company sold, the top five fastest deals that your company sold, and then the five biggest losses. And then look at the patterns across those. And you'll see where there's that sweet spot of really big deals that move really fast. That'll maximize your time. Beautiful. What's number two, Ryan? Number two is referrals for revenue. So there's four steps to this. There's the pathways, the peaks, the process, and the persuasion. And this is absolutely beautiful. It's, in my opinion, it's a new category that sits in between inbound and outbound. And what it does is it accelerates the sales process, sometimes cuts the time in half, while also making deal size 125 to 150% of the size. Now, the beautiful thing is the pathways, that's really like the incentives. Most people default to money or a gift card. A lot of times it's just helping people and being a good person by connecting them to someone who has a problem um, solved that they need to solve. Second one, the peaks. What are the emotional experiences that the buyer goes through and how to align and ask at the right time? The next step is the process, okay? How do you drop that into an existing process and mirror that with your sales process so it's simple and hyper-actionable? And then last is persuasion. That's built on the give-to-get model. If you give somebody something first that's customized and of value to them, nine and a half times out of 10, their number one question is, how can I help you? Very cool. Round us out. What's number three, Ryan? Number three is 12 questions that close over $100 million. So as a rep and as my team, one of the things I saw is there are certain questions that you can ask that make people extremely angry and others that get them to the customer or prospect to completely open up. And so they're really broken into three buckets. And we're going to get into the details in the show. But number one is, where do I stand? Number two is, how do we get this done? And number three is, when can we get this done? Alrighty. So before we go into the 12 questions, you, you did the five by five. You looked at your biggest deals, your fastest deals, and then your five losses. What did you find in the sweet spot between those three that changed the way that you sell? Yeah. So it was super interesting because it was one of those days where I was so frustrated and angry. 
uh, Armand. And it, and it was like, I was working till two in the morning, cramming for a proposal. And I'm like, there's gotta be a better way, right? This just sucks. There's gotta be a better way. And so what happened was the variables that I looked at range and I looked almost from like a top-down approach, right? And basically what it was is I looked not at the C level or not at the signer level, but I looked at the ownership level. Okay. Cause that's the invisible force that influences everything. So whether they're venture capital backed, whether they're the private equity backed, whether they're publicly traded or whether they're private, those ownership structures totally change the focus and the priorities of people as you go through. So that's one example. Another example is the functional components um, down to a psychographic level. You know, are those customers that fit in those five biggest and five fastest deals? You know, do they like sports? Are they heavy drinkers? What do they enjoy outside of work, right? Some of those details you get into. And then, you know, another one that I think is really, so many people forget this, guys. And it's like, it's the trigger event. And you're like, right, what's the trigger event? So what I mean by that is if you look at a company that, let's say, recently merged with someone else, what's the number one thing that they they typically talk about? Do you guys you guys know where I'm going with this in the press release or no? What, what's the number one thing? If you had a guess, what would they, no ideas? You guys shake Podcast shows are clueless. <laughs> so, so mergers, they always talk about synergies, right? Yeah. Or, you know, uh, I should say uh, how they're going to improve and optimize it. And so a lot of times they report to the street, we're going to say because of this merger, we're going to have $500 million in cost efficiencies. Mm. And that's the CEO talking to their shareholders. So obviously that uplifts the priority of cost savings, which a lot of time is a trigger event that we as reps or leaders don't get to. And that uncovers that why deals are getting done. And so then basically you hunt and find those. And so then you're not like chasing, you know, it's the right time and and they're really hyper responsive. So that's how I break it down. There's a lot more to it than that, but that's just a, a quick snapshot of like three areas that I would look at. Well, what people fail to do is they fail to learn from the losses, especially. There was a there were a series of events that were like we were getting these meetings booked on our calendars from a certain persona at Pave, and Pave sells to multiple personas, right? And what we found is that like every time we get on a call, we'd be like, it goes to the second call and it goes to the third call, but for some reason it doesn't close. And so what we did is we actually like pulled reports and we we're like, hey, let's look at every single deal that started with this persona and see how many closed. And literally of the hundreds of deals we were working on, one closed with that persona. <laughs> and so now when we're prospecting, literally it's taken out of the SDR qualification criteria. AEs never focus on that persona, but the reality is like way too many people call these companies and God knows where the heck they're located with the wrong ICP, with the wrong companies, only to realize that the low hanging fruit is right in front of their face and they're not working their territory the right way. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's a perfect example we're talking about. And, you know, like, because what happened was we would look at it and I I did this when I developed the go to market plan, too, because it worked so well when I was a rep. I'm like, I got to use this. And I saw, you know, it started to become really obvious which deals were the time wasters. And if you're dealing with enterprise deals that are nine months, if you could save nine months where your probability is less than two percent for someone on your team or as a rep then that's a huge win because that's that's nine months you could spend on deals that are 10 times as likely to close. Well, so I want to talk a little bit about that, like 
probability side of things. And part of the way that I start to figure out, okay, is this deal legit? Is this deal really going to close? Is like, I start to ask the customer questions about not just like the pain and the thing we're trying to fix for them, but like the process. And you mentioned that in the beginning with these 12 questions where it's like, is this thing going to move? How do we get this done? Can you talk about that 12 question framework and like what you're actually doing there? Yeah, definitely. And and um, what I would say with closing, closing is kind of like a, a mythological beast to, to some people. And they think it's just kind of like at the end, you know, that that's kind of like saying because you had a good proposal um, to your to your your wife, that's why she married you. It wasn't everything that you did prior to that. Right. And so like closing is kind of the same way, in my opinion, like if you're doing the right things along the way. It's a million times easier. Um, but in terms of the questions, like I was really careful with, and I want to say question architecture, because that sounds kind of like snooty, but what I'm talking about here is like, like, okay, so let's take the first one. Where do I stand? Okay. And, and so these are really trying to understand, like, are you nailing, you know, your solution with exactly what they need? And so I'll walk through those and hit those right here. So that one is like, um, does this solution exceed your expectations? Okay. It's very carefully worded because even when customers don't give you an answer with these questions, they give you an answer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is, is there any reason why you wouldn't move forward with this solution, right? So once again, you're surfacing objections. Number three is, is there anything that our solution is missing that the competition has proposed? Okay, so mind you, it, people are afraid. A lot of times I've seen reps afraid to ask that question. They're like, oh, mm -hmm. we don't want people to go to competition. Here's the thing. They have policies in place where they have to go to competition. They have to get competitive bids. They're not going to sign off on $100,000 deals without anybody else looking at it. They, I mean, it just doesn't happen, right? And then number four is, is there anything that you don't like about our solution compared to competition? And so it does a couple of things. The way that that's structured is it tells you who the competition is, what they're proposing, what they like versus yours versus they don't. So it starts to shape like the solution. And then that way, if you really want to identify like, okay, is this apples to apples or is this not apples to apples, right? You could start to frame that up and basically you get complete visibility to what your competitors are proposing, dollar values, you know, features, all those solutions. And it, it, it removes the number one reason why deals are lost. And that's just not knowing, right? Well, so it brings all that to the surface. What you're doing there is really, really critical. So I used to sell this huge ERP system where it would literally take the customer 18 months to go through an evaluation process. And I had a hundred different product SKUs. And the worst thing that I could possibly do was not ask where we stood relative to the competition. And especially what you're doing, you're saying, okay, is there anything that you really like about the competition that you haven't seen from us? Because it was an 18 month sales cycle and there was no way they were going to remember every single product that we had shown them. And so they would say, yeah, we really love X feature that the competitor has. Like, we wish you had something like that. And I'm like, we literally showed that to you in the demo. And yeah. so one of the things you have to remember as a salesperson is while your thing is really, really close to your heart, like you're thinking about your product and your solution all day, every day, like your customer isn't living it. And so we oftentimes have to repeat the same message two, three, four times throughout the sales process, not because your customer's dumb, but because they've got other things going on. And if you don't hammer that stuff, they forget. Yeah, Nick, you nailed it, man. I mean, I can't tell you how many times where we've given or provided or, or talked about it for an hour with them and they completely forget about it. So, and you're like, oh yeah, well, we, we talked about that. Don't you remember? They're like, no, 
And then they're like, oh, okay, that's good. Then I, that's awesome that you guys have that, that piece. I, I, I forgot about that, you know? So I think you nailed it. So what do you do in the situation where like the customer says, yeah, you know, Ryan, you guys are really, really losing to Armand's solution. Like we like them way more. Do you abandon ship? Do you do anything strategic there to try to like resurrect the deal? What's your approach if they give you, I guess, negative feedback? Well, that's, I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's surfacing the positive or the negatives and like the, like you can't, you can't overcome objections if you don't know about them or if they're not brought to the surface. Right. So someone's like that, like, yeah, the other solution's killing it. Like, you know, and, and a lot of times it's just like, oh, well, hey, totally get it. Why is that? You know, what, what do you find amazing? Because I want to make sure we're apples to apples with what you're doing. And at the end of the day, I know no matter what solution that you pick, I just want you to be informed and know that like, you know, if, if we didn't configure our solution exactly the way you need it, um, that you have it, you know, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of times if you ask the questions in this way, people will be open because they're like, you're trying to help them, right? You're not, you're not trying to pull one over on them. And it, so like, they'll say that like, okay, well, the other competitor is priced much more competitively. It's like, well, what's more competitively? Oh, well, you know, it's, and they're like, well, I can't give you their pricing, right? You're like, okay, well then percentage, are we talking 10%? Are we talking 15 and 20? What's significant? And you won't believe how many times they will tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll tell you exactly where it is. They're like, well, they're 20% cheaper and they give 10 more licenses and then you're like, well, does it include these variables, which you said were very important? They're like, well, no, that's something that they said they would handle later. And it's like, oh, well, we could customize the solution and take that off if budgeting is a requirement and then fit that in. And then they're like, oh, you can? You know, so a lot of times it's just misunderstanding like what you're mm-hmm. talking about and overcoming that and working through that. So, so yeah, I hope that helps. So let's say we get through, where do I stand? So now, mm-hmm. ideally, I... In a, green, in a green light scenario, I exceed their expectations. There are a few reasons they wouldn't move forward. They like me more than the competition for the most part. What's the second set of questions I should be asking? Right. And so, and by the way, this is the preface that I didn't have with this is this is making some of the assumptions that you're talking about, Armand, right? You, you have a good relationship strategy outside of just the business case. And so uh, that's a whole, it's a whole nother topic we could talk about, but switching gears, like how do we get this done is what I would say. And so the purpose of these five questions is to obtain complete visibility that you need to take to close the deal by aligning with their needs. Okay. So I'll walk you through these really quick. So, and, and here's why I would say is you're like, a lot of times people are like, well, aren't these, aren't some of these redundant or shouldn't we have asked some of these already? And the question is yes, but what you'll find out is you find out weird stuff at the end where you know that you've asked them the same question four times and the fifth time you get a different answer, right? So just remember that. So park that there. So number, number uh, five, I should say, is are there any outstanding steps in your evaluation process, right? Notice how I didn't word it like, hey, um, can you make the decision on this? <laughs> you know, or are we good to go on this? It's like, hey, in your evaluation process, are there any other steps? That's a simple way of asking, like, do you have to check with other vendors? Do you have to um, talk to operations if you're in IT and finance? Like that brings to the surface those areas. And a lot of times additional players that you didn't know existed will come to the surface at the end of the sales process, okay? Uh, Number six is, you know, if you're doing it right, you should be prepping and setting up the reference calls. It's like, what's your feedback from the reference calls? Were they positive? Were they negative? 
You know, did you like the person? Right. And a lot of times, you know, once again, those they'll be like, yeah, they, really good. They liked you guys, but it's a different situation. Well, how is it a different situation? Mm-hmm. Right. Then you overcome that objection. Uh, number seven is like, what steps are left in your formal approval process? Okay. And this, this might sound a little redundant with the evaluation process. Evaluation is more surfacing um, sometimes uh, basically competitors. And, and this is more designed around what's the step-by-step they need to do. And I'll give you an example. So for example, there was, there was one opportunity, the deal was, it wasn't a huge deal, but it was probably maybe 250K a year. So it was a good size deal. Uh, and what we found out is even though we were working with the CIO and the CEO, um, once it reached a certain threshold, they had to bring it to a board meeting. And the board, they had to quote unquote, make the board aware of it and tell them what they're going to do, which is IE like the board's got to approve it type thing, right? They just don't want to say it because they're ego. And so what happens is they're like, okay, well, we have to bring it to the board and let them know that this is a priority project. We want to move forward with it. And then the question is like, okay, you got to get dates. Okay, well, when's the next board meeting? The next board meeting's in three weeks. Okay, is, is this going to be presented at the next board meeting? They're like, well, actually, no, it's going to have to be the board meeting after we're going to have to present it. And so, um, okay, so that's the next starting point. Then what happens? Walk me through it. Well, then after we have to sit down with the, the mid, mid-level people, walk us through implementation and also talk to the line of business. Okay. Who's there on the line of business that needs to be on board? Okay. That's, that's Jenny Smith. Okay. We got to get Jenny Smith. Okay. And so basically you walk through it step-by-step step, and what you're trying to do is set up a reverse close to implementation. So you're mapping the dates that they need to go through with their process, which you're going to do. And, and these are steps that I like to take in what I call the strategy meeting, which is like high level pencil math, proposal numbers with solution configuration, right? But when you're doing this, when you come back for the proposal, you basically back into the implementation. Then you ask all the way to like, hey, what's the implementation date that you want to start this in? Once again, even when they don't answer it, they're answering it because they're like, well, I don't think we're ready to talk about that yet. Well, it's like, okay, well, what, what do we need to do to get you to the point where you're comfortable? Oh, we need to do step X, Y, and Z, right? So um, that's seven. Uh, number eight is what is your contract review process? And who are the people involved with that, right? And so you want to get hyper-specific because you'll there'll be weird people that crawl out of finance that you didn't even know existed, uh, especially with bigger deals that you got to handle. And so those will get to the, the, the surface. You include that in the timeline. And then number nine, and, and this is probably what you hear, but if you do it this order, um, you're like, okay, well, the deal size is going to be X. So what level do you need to sign off for that? Who's the final signer? And here's the weird thing, Armand and, and Nick, we were doing this and we were working a deal with Lowe's, okay? Like Lowe's Home Improvement. They, are, they were spending $1.2 million a month on the solution we were, that we were proposing. And, we were, and so we were working with some high-level people there. However, um, the person we were working with was the senior director of, of sourcing. And that guy had budget responsibility to save $50 million a year, right? That was, his, that was like his reverse quota, right? Guess what his sign-off approval dollar amount was? 1.199999. I love, I love the, uh, the sarcasm, Nick. So I, you get, you get cool points for me from that. No, it was $50,000. <laughs> he had responsibility for $50 million and he could only sign off for $50,000. So the name of the company, the title, the vanity, 
components don't matter. That's why you got to ask these specific questions because that's when deals sit there for months and months and months and months. And you're like, why are this not closing? My guy said we're good to go, mm-hmm. right? That's because he's got to take it up four other levels and it's not that person's priority. So what do I do in that situation? Like you'll, you'll get these people who shop you around the org and you think you've got a deal, but they're literally shopping you around the org. You're never getting shopped up. And so what do you do when you're stuck in the mud like that? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of different strategies you could deploy. I mean, like, like um, if you are a rep, you could deploy, you could leverage your, your vice president, one of your executives to get that executive executive meeting. That's good. Um, basically, it's like, here's the thing. What, I, what I've discovered just through, uh, it's probably been over a thousand different sales processes of like really big deals. Maybe it's hundreds. I don't know, but it's a lot, right? It's a lot. We'll just put it at a lot, right? Which is a real specific number. So um, one of the things that they kind of unpacked is like, is lawn as like the reason why people are afraid to bring you in front of their boss's boss is because they're afraid it's not going to make them look good. Hmm. So if you could, if you could attach your solution to a status increase for them, then they're a lot more likely to say like, Hey, you know, this is Nick. Hey, this is Armand. And basically they're helping us with one of our top priorities in the company and solve that. And so I wanted to introduce you to them. It takes some work and, and it's not a layover solution, but, but those are a couple of ideas that come to my head fresh on that. So let's say you're working with Armand and he's a little bit hesitant. He's a little bit nervous. His boss, Nick, you know, he can be a little bit tough sometimes. And Armand <laughs> is nervous to like bring the thing that you're selling up to me because he isn't sure if this is going to affect his status negatively. What do you say to Armand, one, to uncover that he's nervous and then two, to help get him over that hump of like, hey, man, like, I'm going to be cool in front of Nick. Like, I'm going to make you look good. Well, yeah, here's what I would say is. Um, and, and keep so in mind, you have a very challenging job to make Armand look good here. <laughs> so so here's what I would say is, um, you know, like if we're, we're trying to get up to Nick's level, right? We want to get mm-hmm. to that Nick guy. He sounds, he, sounds, he sounds like a tough cookie. Tough not to crack that, Nick. So if we were trying to get up to Nick, like how I kind of approach it, and you could, like a lot of times you could tell is just like, um, here's what I would tell you. There's the emotional side of it and there's the logical side of it. Armand in in a a bigger company, he's going to be evaluated by KPIs, right? And so like that'll dictate his bonus. That'll dictate if he gets promoted. And so if you can attach your solution, helping him with his KPIs, that's going to be one stance. Another one talking about the emotional side is like, Hey, Armand, like, why are you like, are you uncomfortable? Like you, you know, I mean, as a salesperson, you know, but like, mm-hmm. why are you uncomfortable? And you can't say it that way. Like super rah, over the yeah. top, like I'm being right now with you. I'm trying try to try to be a little, little, you know, a little, little, oh, I can't even say it. This is the end of my day. So I'm running out of gas, but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to power through guys. So long story short, it'd be like, um, you know, why are you uncomfortable with, with, um, having us meet with Nick. He was like, ah, well, he's just tough and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, you know, what are some of the, the best projects that you've done that he's gotten really excited about? And he's like, oh, well, I, I don't, you know, I haven't done anything. And it's like, okay, well, is there any other projects in the department that people brought to him that he's really loved, right? And they're like, yeah, well, Susie brought one and it really helped the company out with XYZ. You're like, okay, well, why did he like it so much? And it's like, well, because it helped here, here, and here. Okay. So then what you try and do is help them with the positioning 
to basically escalate their status. And you'd be like, hey, have you thought about that this solution solves one of the biggest problems of the company? Like, imagine how good you'll look. Like, sometimes they need to be coached up mm-hmm. to have the confidence to go two levels above or three levels above. So, does that help? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Ask Armand. He's timid. <laughs> Sorry, I hope you Armand. I mean, Norm- you know. normally the roles are reversed. What can I say? But uh, <laughs> all right. So, so we've got through the how do I get this done questions. What is my final bucket of questions I can be asking? All right. Final bucket is when do we get this done? Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is for predictability of forecasting and then also for your own personal sanity. So you just don't have those deals that float out in the space. So these are really designed, these three questions to co-author a closing project plan with your prospect so that basically you could be the guide throughout that process. So kind of like what we did on the previous step, we, we understood, okay, their evaluation process, evaluation is external, right? How do they evaluate that they're making the best decision in terms of who they're picking? And then the uh, decision, or I should say the, the, the final approval process, what's the steps, right? Okay, so number 10 is like, what's your timeframe for implementation? I started to reference that on the last one. And you're going to find answers that are all over the board. They'll be like, oh, well, we, you know, I think we, we could do this in three months. Sometimes it'll be like six months. You're like, well, why so far out? And they're like, well, you know, it probably takes two months to implement and then we got to do this. And then that's the way where you back them into it more. And you're like, well, actually we could implement in two weeks. So, you know, let's, here's the dates you told me. It looks like with the whole entire process that you have, that puts us out about a month. You know, we go through contracts, that's another two weeks. So we could actually implement in two months. Would that be good for you if we could do that? You know, is that a line? Would that be better than six months? So like, yeah, that would be, that'd be amazing, Ryan, right? So that's one example. Ryan, one thing to, to add there, I've had prospects, I'll ask them like, hey, like what's sort of your sense of when you're hoping to be live with this solution? And I've, I don't know, like 10% of the time, the prospect says yesterday, like trying to be funny and their way of saying, oh, I need this really quickly. And that doesn't really help me other than it's like, okay, this is urgent. And so um, what somebody taught me to say is like, okay, well, I don't sell a time machine, a solution, but like realistically, when, when you're, if you're saying yesterday and you want this now, like really, when are you hoping to get this thing stood up? Like you shouldn't accept a fake answer as an answer when they say yesterday. Oh, exactly. And and I, I haven't used the time machine close, but like another one would be like for that is just like, well, why, why would you need it done yesterday? Like what's, mm-hmm. what's driving you for, to make it that level of priority, Mr. Customer. Mm-hmm. And like that, the cool thing is with that you might find out something really important that you didn't know about that's driving it. And then you just keep pounding that in their head. You're like, okay, well, you said the CEO needed this. How fast can we get that done? Does this mean you want it done as fast as possible? Yes. Okay. Let's yeah. do that. Right. Here's the fastest. I think we could do it. And then you timeline all those steps out to make that a reality. It's like, cause then it's basically like you're giving them a task list of what to do and who to do it with, mm-hmm. but it's based on their decision, not yours. Mm-hmm. Right. Nice. Um, so yeah, I love that. Um, 11 is what steps need to happen in advance of implementing. Those are those like security you know, you have to pass through security. You have to pass through this, you know, just hoops you have to jump through to get it done. And so it's good to surface any of those. So you can build that into the plan. And then, are there hey, can any? I ask, can I ask one question about that one? Actually, 
what do you do when you have a prospect who doesn't know? Like maybe you have a sort of unsophisticated buyer who isn't sure like what needs to happen where it's like, oh, we haven't really bought an ERP system like this before. So like, I'm not even totally clear on like what our whole org needs to check this off. How do you approach a sort of, I don't know, odd situation like that? Yeah. It, well, and you'll see that sometimes when, when there's a new person in who's, who just joined or mm-hmm. they haven't. And, and that's the beauty of this process because like you're taking them by the hand and you're like, okay, well, is there a similar solution like dollar value to the ERP or of complexity that you've implemented before? No. Okay. Well, who can we talk to that, that knows that? Right. Well, I guess I got to talk to my boss. When can you talk to him? How soon can you talk to him? Okay. Well, I have my one-on-one every Monday. It's like, okay, can you talk to him next Monday and then like find out what that is? So then we could finish building out this plan and, um, you know, that, that's kind of how I would handle it. Um, and then last but not least, it's just like, are there any additional meetings that need to happen prior? And so that just surfaces like other people that they have to, and I'm doing air quotes, guys, run it by, right? Um, that are not necessarily decision makers, but they, those people need to be comfortable with the solution before, you know, the thumbs up is given. So that, that one's really important as well. So yeah, that's the stack. That's 12. And a lot of times, you know, it's going deeper and the best thing you could do if you don't know, or something's confusing is just ask like, well, why is that? You know, just be curious. Why is that? You know? And so, uh, yeah, that, that's helped a lot with really big deals. And so oftentimes you find you're in these deals that they're wasting your time, right? Maybe you've got the wrong person on the account. Maybe you're in the wrong part of the organization. Maybe it's the wrong company. Right. And so you recognize that this deal is stalling, but maybe you think the company's still good. What's the best way to rejigger your deal so that you either get to the right person or you reorganize the sales cycle so you can sort of start from scratch? Yeah. So um, that's a great question, Armand. And um, it's near and dear to my heart because we made an $18 million mistake. And so I learned that mistake was cost, it was like $18 million. It's like 23 months. And basically we went through 32 competitors and we were, no, we went through 31 competitors and we lost to the 32nd competitor. So it was like an RF, like a grizzly RFP with hundreds of pages and loads of crap that you had to deal with. And so anyways, um, we learned from that and, you know, the, the outcome from that is what we discovered is the question that I always ask, it's simple, whether you're at the start or you're, you get thrust in the middle is just follow the money. And what I mean by that is there's two questions that you could ask that surface, whether you're in the right place and spending with the right time and the right people. Uh, and so those two questions are who actually pays for this now out of their budget. And if it's, it's a partial solution, let's say like, so let's say it spreads across three departments you know, it might hit, let's say marketing, it might hit operations and it might hit, you know, the, the business um, component, right? They still allocate dollars. They have to, that's just the way the accounting works. So what you'll find is sometimes one department will pay for, for 70% of it, the other 20 and the other 10. So you better darn well have alignment at that 70% mm-hmm. group. And that needs to be the key focus area. So that's the first question. The second question, this is what bit us in the butt with that $18 million mistake, but there's a silver lining. There's a rainbow at the end of the, at, at the end of the um, uh, pot of gold at the end of rainbow. I think where I was going with that. Right? <laughs> it's a rainbow at the end. Rainbow at the, uh, it's gotta be your bull. 
Uh, you got to check the size of the team. Uh, you guys would get where I'm going with this. Anyways, so basically what happened is um, the next question is who after we implement or after the solutions implemented, who is going to own the budget then? Mm-hmm. Right. Because what happened was we, we asked the question the right way of who owned the budget now. But what we didn't account for is when they implemented this new solution, there's going to be a completely new owner of the budget. And so essentially that person had the final final on who to go with. And so what happened is we took that learnings or we took those learnings from that and then ended up closing a $20 million deal in like three quarters of the time, even though we lost that $18 million deal before. So big learning. So anybody highly, highly recommend you ask those two questions at the beginning of every sales cycle. I got one more question that I want to ask if that's okay with you. Yeah, man. Um, so Ryan, in the beginning, all the way in the beginning of this episode, you talked a little bit about like asking for referrals. And one of the things you talked about was like the timing of like when they're at peak emotion. And so oftentimes a customer is at peak emotion when they sign the contract or when the thing goes live and they're really happy that, hey, the software actually did what we promised it would. So like, I want to put you in a situation where you're sitting in the room with Armand again. He's that champion who got the deal done and he is thrilled. He's happy. What do you say to Armand in that situation to solicit a referral? Yeah. So um, what I would do is um, I would ask him to rate his experience on a scale of one to five, mm-hmm. like one being the worst, five being the best. You know, it's like, hey, looks like you got the win you're looking for. Would you agree? Yeah, that's awesome. You guys are high five. And it's like, okay, on a scale of one to five, you know, like, how did I do? How do we do? Oh, you guys are a four or you guys are a five, right? You know, like you, you typically don't want to ask them to like, eh, you guys are like a two, like you're like a, you're like a week two, right? You don't want to, you don't want to ask that. Right. But let's say you're a four or five. You did a great job. They're super happy and they're on an emotional high. It's like, it's like when you first fall in love, right? You would do anything for that significant other, no matter how ridiculous the request is. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, yeah, this is amazing. It's working. Right. And so then how to ask them is basically you just kind of say you have them rate you and you're like, okay, cool. So we're, we're four. Um, I noticed that you're connected to these three people. Um, and these three people, by the way, are, are people you need to have ready when you go in. I know you're connected to these three people. Would you, you know, would you be cool if I sent them an email and then copied you just saying like, Hey, we just implemented, um, Armand gave me a five and was really happy. And I'd like to talk to you because we're spending more time on our customers instead of new business development, mm. because that's what we're doing as an organization. We're spending more money on customer success and product than on chasing new customers. And I want to work with more people like you. Right. And so most of the time they gave you a good reading. They don't want to go back on their word. Right. Yeah. Next thing you do, you made it super easy because they don't need to do anything. They're just, you're just basically CCing them on the email. Um, and then last but not least, you know, you're giving them a good reason, which I could go into, but it's in uh, Robert Cialdini's book, Influence. Um, actually, I'll, I'll tell you really quick. I, I know we're up, almost up on time, but basically they did this study um, of, um, of uh, basically uh, people that were waiting in line to get copies, right? Now, this is Cialdini's book based on 30 years of psychological research. And what would happen is if someone would go in line and they would say, oh, um, I think it was like, if someone just is like, um, hey, can, can, I, can I cut in line, right? Um, I, I need to, I just, can I cut in line? People would be like, 60% of the time, they're like, sure. Um, if they're like, hey, can I cut in line and um, because I'm running late for this meeting? That number went up to 
94%, right? And then if they say, um, hey, can I cut in line? And they give a reason that made no sense whatsoever, just made no sense. Guess what the percentage went up to? It's, it's still super high. It's like, I think the example I've heard that study, it's they say, can I cut in line? I need to make some copies. And it's like, yeah, yeah you're li- we're literally all in line to do this. And people still let you. And the lesson there is like, you got to just ask because already you're at 60%. But then if you give a reason and you should do this, salespeople should do this at any time that they're asking questions is always be prepared to give a reason for the question that you asked to justify the, the reason that you asked it. So I love that. I love the line about uh, we're trying to invest more in customer success than new business development, hence why I'm reaching out via a present customer. So um, we're running out of time here, Ryan, and we got to move to our final question. And so the final question is this. We've talked about a ton of really great things that salespeople should be doing in their sales process. Now let's flip that on its head and let's talk about the final question, which is what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps? Okay, this is happening right now. And I literally just went on a rant on this. Okay. Big, big, listen, listen. Like I grab you by the shirt. Listen to me, right? For this one. Um, don't use the pandemic as an excuse not to meet your customers live. Hmm. Okay. If you're trying to sell big deals, their job is at risk. I just met with someone yesterday that that I had short Zoom meetings with, completely transformed the relational experience I had with them because I went to lunch with them. Don't use that as an excuse. Find a way to meet with them live. It doesn't matter if their their office is locked down. They want to get out to take them out to lunch, take them out to coffee, take them out to dinner. It'll be worth your while. And you will be different than 99% of everybody else out there who's saying, I can't meet with them because their office is closed. Take advantage of it. It's a huge, huge, very old school. It'll work well though. Awesome. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we jump off, is there anything that you want to plug or promote? Plug or promote? Oh, I, I love it, man. I mean, you guys do an awesome job with the Brag podcast. Brag about yourself so, here. So yeah, you are all salespeople. So yeah, if, if um, you, you are loving podcasts because you're listening to this show, come check mine out too. It's called The Scale Up Show. I interview a lot of founders. I do have uh, revenue leaders on as well. So a little bit different format, but I, I have actionable insights every episode. So yeah, if you want to check that out, that'd be awesome. Beautiful. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.